It wasn't Donald Trump that first said 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians. I've been saying it <clears throat> since, uh, I don't know, like 19, maybe 1980, something like that. A little boy rode the bus that I was captain of and worked on, and uh, he uh, was quoting a verse of Scripture to me, and I have no idea which one of the passages it was, but I just know he said 2 Corinthians or 2 Timothy or 2 Chronicles, whatever verse he said, and I just smiled at him. He's around 9 or 10 years old, and I thought, that's how we should all say it. That's how we all should do it. So I started doing it back then, and uh, I found out then in Australia, that's how they all say it down there too. So anyway, I'm glad that I, uh, anyway, I just, I say it to keep people's attention and to help us remember what we're doing. One Corinthians, you feel, no, 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 before you do that, if you have a ribbon thingy, Bob, a marker, if you would put it in um, John, Gospel of John, chapter 19, we're going to turn there in a little while and do some work there. And then while you're turning there, I want to say thank you. Thank you very, very much for your attendance and for being here. And I want to say thank you for inviting people to come and your friends and guests that would come. Thank you. Thank you for being here. I also want to say thank you in advance. Thank you for giving to an offering uh, to be a help and a blessing to, to me and my ministry and my livelihood. Thank you very much for that. And then... Uh, your pastor this week has been spoiling me. Uh, I, he mentioned last week I was with his friend, and they worked together at, uh, with me in Oklahoma, uh, Brother Ron Jones. And uh, so they are trying to outdo each other in taking care of me and giving me gifts. So your pastor gave me a gift. It's a watch, and it's a golf watch. It has a golf ball on it or the skin of a golf ball that came from, which you don't care, but TPC Sawgrass, the 17th hole. And uh, this is really awesome. I've got to play that course before because if you're a pastor in a youth camp uh, down in Florida or that area down there, and then you probably did. Uh, I would imagine you beat me every day, but... uh, I did hit the green. I do know that. So, but anyway, uh, so I appreciate the uh, watch. And then today, he felt bad about the shoes I was wearing. So we went and got some new shoes. <laughs> and I will tell you, this is the first time I've ever had cool shoes. <laughs> I'm an old person. I just get shoes that, yeah, I can wear these. <laughs> But these are cool. And so he thought, well, because of his wife, Miss Laura thought, you should get him two pair. I've got two pair. These are a lovely gray. The other ones are not. Some kind of tan color. Anyway, they're wonderful. He's... Spoil me every time we pass a place to eat. Have you ever eaten there? No? So we, we've stopped at 30 places to eat just to <laughs> taste them and say, yeah, this is really good. No, not that many. But anyway, uh, I've, he's really went overboard into spoil me. And our friend, Ron Jones, texted him today, and we've been talking back and forth about who's doing the best. So they're pretty even. That's pretty awesome. But uh, anyway, I appreciated the the generosity that uh, you would have as a church and heart to be a blessing and to me. And he asked me when I got here. He said, "What do you need? Do you need a new suit, or do you need shoes?" And I said, "Well, the truth is, I really do need some. I need some shoes." And he said, "Great. We want to help you with that." And uh, I do not need a suit. I have five or six suits hanging in my closet at home, and I have, I don't know, four with me that I travel with. That's the last thing I need is another suit to take care of. But since I travel, I used to have, anyway, you can only travel with so many suits. Anyway, thank you, Brother Jim. Thank you. That's a great blessing to me. So did I tell you to put a marker in John 19? 
Okay, that was a long time ago, it seems like. Now, if you'll go with me to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. <clears throat> and tonight, again, I'm going to say, excuse me, pardon me, I'm sorry for all the times that I may clear my throat or hack or puke or whatever I might do. I'm just going to say, excuse me right now. It covers all of them, so... <clears throat> so, all right. Uh, if you have 1 Corinthians 15, am I asking? Oh, no. Oh, I messed up. We're coming back. You turn, need to turn to Hebrews. I'm sorry. We're coming to 1 Corinthians, but we need to do Hebrews because I'm not going to turn there in a little while. And I want to read uh, two verses out of here. I'm sorry. I got excited about my new shoes. <laughs> I may have trouble preaching now. I don't know. But anyway. Um, Hebrews chapter 8. Did I say that yet? Okay. Hebrews 8. <clears throat> we'll come to 1 Corinthians 15. If you're able, you can stand with me, please. We stand to give reverence and to give honor to the eternal, infallible, inerrant. It is the perfect, preserved word of the living God. Hallelujah. Bless his name. Now, let me do one more thing. If you've never said amen in church, if you never have, this is a chance. When, we, when I read this verse, you're looking at it. When we finish this verse, if there was ever a time in church to say amen, this verse is it. So here we go. It's Hebrews chapter 8, verse number 12. It's, it's as if God is talking, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Amen. Amen. It says the same thing almost in chapter 10 of verse 17. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Do I do love the Holy Bible. I love it that God lets me, Brother Pastor Alter and I were talking today, we were rejoicing that God lets us teach it and preach it. What we do, it's, we love it. I love it. Chapter 15, verse 1. <clears throat> Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, According to the scriptures. Let me pray with you, please. Our great God, I come to you again. And, you know, my heart is thrilled tonight, and I'm blessed to have opportunity to stand again and open up your book and do my best and utmost to declare your word and your truth. I pray that you would help me tonight. I do pray for unction and utterance and power to preach. I pray that all of us, every one of us, would have ears to hear that are ready, that are opened, hearts that are opened. I pray nobody would have a closed heart tonight. We're all ready and willing to hear your truth. And then I pray we would uh, be responsive whatever you talk to us about. We would say yes. If someone's not yet born again, oh, dear God, please, please touch them. Bring conviction on them. I pray they get saved. We love you, Jesus. I just want to say hallelujah. Thank you for loving me. I look forward to what you're about to do. And so it's in the mighty and holy name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> I'm getting ready to read this little paragraph I've written, and I want to tell you that the third and fourth word 
some of you may be unaware of this word. You may have never heard it. But I will say that I'm well aware that there are many of you that have heard the word. So if you have not heard the word and you're not altogether sure about it, uh, ask someone after service if you need to. But anyway, I'll, I'll tell you this too. I'm not altogether sure how you spell it. But I wrote it down. Here we go. It's the third and fourth word. There are highfalutin theologians out there that are bubbling over with biblical knowledge, but they have nothing because their knowledge is altogether void of the saving knowledge of the gospel. There are religious dabblers today that know some Bible facts and they have a head knowledge of Jesus, but they're empty on the inside because they don't have the saving truth of the gospel. Truth is, there are even people in our churches who sadly would call themselves Christian, but literally they have nothing because they do not possess a saving knowledge of the gospel their belief or their faith is in vain. We talked about that last night, and in fact, uh, just before service, I was given testimony that when I came here some years ago when Brother Jim was ordained, said that I was one of those people that had just a head knowledge that I really hadn't had faith in Christ, and I got saved. And that's a hallelujah. And tonight... If you fit that category, the Holy Spirit, God knows it, and he wants, he will do his part to help you understand that your faith is useless. It's it's in vain. It's it's not in the gospel that Paul preached. I think that's why that the Holy Spirit would inspire the apostle to write such a thing as 1 Corinthians and try to get across uh, the gospel and that he would uh, say, hey, I I preached it to you. I'm going to declare to you the gospel. I preached it to you. You received it. It's where you stand. It's by which you're saved. You know what he's doing there when he does that? It's called a repetition. And he's just going over the gospel again. And he said, you've heard it. I preached it to you. You've received it. But I'm going to tell it to you again anyway. And so I would say this, never ever get disappointed if someone keeps preaching the gospel. If Paul the Apostle thought it was relevant to repeat, I'm pretty sure we can say it's relevant. Amen. So hallelujah. So we talked about the gospel and that it's first, it's the main, what's the word? Main job. It's the main thing. And so we as believers should know the gospel so well that we can easily and gently give the gospel to someone who needs it. It ought not be, it ought not be that you've been a church attender for some years and you go, just a minute, I got to call someone so they can give you the gospel. That ought not be. We should all know it so well that we can give the gospel to other people. So we know that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. The second part, if you were going to delineate or make divisions in the gospel, to say the death, he died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Now, Sunday morning we did that he rose again the third day. Last night we worked on some... We laid out how he delivered the gospel and so on. And I guess Sunday morning we did that he uh, died for our sins some. I didn't really spend an entire sermon on it. We talked about it just a tiny bit last night. And we then talked about how that he delivered the gospel. It's the main thing. Tonight, we're going to conclude my part with you anyway. That uh, I want to talk about that middle part. And that... He was buried. 
if I'm, my brain doesn't think like this, but if you were going to be one of those people that delineate and you go to, well, uh, the first thing is he died, the second thing he was buried, the fourth, third thing he rose again. And I'm not against that. I'm, I'm not against it at all. My brain, I just don't function that way. To me, it all kind of goes together. However, if you were going to do it, you would say, well, the burial is a third of the gospel. If you were going to do that. And most of us, or I should say many of us, have not thought about, well, what's the burial all about? What's that about? Why is that so valuable? Well, let's do this. Did Christ die for our sins? Yeah. Well, if that is so valuable, wouldn't it be horrible if he didn't die? Because if he didn't die, like some people have said, then our sins weren't paid for. So, if his death is so important, we better be sure that that happened. You don't want to think, well, I'm pretty sure he died. I don't think he just passed out. I don't think he, I don't think he went in a coma. No, he died. And so, as we talk about that, that he was buried... Uh, to explain <clears throat> some, now I, I don't have the ability to do all of the weight, but to explain some of the weight and that he was buried, I really need you to go with me to the book of Romans, chapter 6. So it's right in front of Corinthians, Romans, chapter 6. So I'm going to work on this passage a little bit and show you a couple of things. <clears throat> Mercy. I'm excited about this. All right. Before we read the verse, there were some people in the church at Rome that loved, they were turned on, they were excited, they couldn't get over the grace of God. The grace of God, man. They, they just thought, man, wouldn't it be good to get more grace? Let me just ask you, would you like to get more grace? No, yes. Us that know grace and we've experienced grace, yeah, I'll take more. Give me more. And the, 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 evidently there were some people at Rome that were thinking about, ooh, would it be good to get more grace? And somebody came up with an idea of how to get more grace. The apostle is addressing it. Here's what they came up with. This is incredible. Here's what they came up with. If you will go out and commit sin, then you can get more grace. You're not getting it? Evidently, someone thought that or was thinking that or was teaching that. Look at verse 1. Look at Paul addresses that. Look what he says. Uh, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? The next two words. God forbid. Another way to say it. Are you out of your mind? Are you crazy? I believe the God forbid comes with a physical. It's like an action word that comes with an action response. Look up here. I believe God forbid includes this action. <clears throat> Smack him upside the head. What is wrong with you? God forbid. Now, you really got to know deep, deep in the languages to get the slap in the head thing. But anyway, God forbid. Look what he says. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? He said, you're out of your mind. He said, you don't sin to get more grace. You're crazy. He said, if you're dead to sin, how can you keep sinning? So now we have a problem. In this room, there are many of you that would say that you're saved. You've been born did again did, and you know it. Do you ever sin? 
If you're dead to sin, how come you keep sinning? So Paul's going to answer that too. So here we go. Here goes our work. Watch this. He said, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Now stop right here. Let's stop, stop, stop. <clears throat> I know where I am. I'm at Grace Baptist Church. Your pastor is a Baptist. Unashamed. He's a Baptist. We're Baptists. When us Baptists hear the word baptized, we can't help it. We cannot help it. It's an automatic ingrain in our brain. When we hear the word baptized, we're thinking of wawa. You can't help it. No, you're not. There's so many of us who are baptized into Jesus Christ. We're baptized into his... Amen? Our little brains cannot help it. We think of wawa or water for us that are older. Amen. We can't help it. Do you know that the word baptize does mean dip, plunge, immerse, place into? You know, you could get immersed, placed into something other than Wawa. I would love to be baptized in banana pudding. <laughs> it would be awesome. You go, <laughs> have vanilla wafers on my head when I came out. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I was younger. I haven't heard very many people say it of late, of many several years, but it used to be people say, yeah. Have you met that person? They act like they've got baptized in vinegar. Some of you know it. Watch. Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ? It does. When, watch, when did I get placed into Jesus? Did I have to wait until I got into the Wawa? To get placed into Jesus? Uh, no. When I received the gospel, at that very moment, that's how I got saved. Somebody say amen. When I got saved, at that very moment, I was placed into Jesus Christ. Are you getting it? A phenomenon happened that's incredible. At the very moment, at the very moment I got, I got saved, I was placed into Jesus. At that very same moment... He, by the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, was placed into me. And now I am the temple of God. Amen? He's placed into me at the same moment I was placed into Him. Watch, 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 listen to the Scripture. Know you not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into His death. Do you know what that means? That when I got placed into Jesus, at that very same moment, I was placed into his death. What, 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 what does that mean? See if you can remember. Christ died for... Yes! When I got placed into Christ, I was placed into his death. I got the benefit of his death. What's the benefit of his death? Ah, my sins are paid for. Mercy's sakes. Can somebody say amen? amen. Mm, that's really good. So when the scripture says that we are baptized into Christ, it is saying when we were placed into Christ, we got the benefit of his death. Mm, my sins are paid for. Look, look, look at your Bible. I'll show it to you. Verse number four. Therefore, we're buried 
with him. How? Uh, by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Look up here, look up here, look up here. I got the benefit of his death. I got the benefit of his burial. I got the benefit of his resurrection. That like as Christ was raised from the dead, even so we also should walk in newness of life. The only way, the only way any human can walk in newness of life is not by themselves. It's because they have the benefit of Christ. My walking in newness of life is not because of me and how dedicated I am. It's because of Christ. And that I'm placed into Him. I have the benefit of His death. I have the benefit of his burial. I have the benefit of his resurrection. Mercy. See, remember the, the, the resurrection Sunday? I, if you can remember that far, that the resurrection is the validation of who he was. Hallelujah. Because I have the resurrection, I know that I can walk in newness of life, not because of me, but because I'm in Christ. When you and I try to walk in newness of life on our own, it's a waste. You ain't going to make it. But if you and I, in Christ, through Christ, by Christ, we allow Him, that His life, it's called like the Christ life. His life lives through us. Then we can walk in newness of life. Can somebody say amen? All right, all right, all right. We got to keep going here. Uh, verse five. For if we've been planted, that sounds like buried, doesn't it? So if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Watch verse six. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is free from sin. If we be dead with Christ, we believe that we should also live with him. Look, 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 look. When I got saved, I was placed into Christ and I got the benefit of his death. Somebody say amen. Absolutely. Now, I was buried with him. I'm going to talk about burial in just a second. And I raised with him. Now, we did that Sunday morning. And I was raised with him to walk in newness of life. Now, now you know, that he that is, that the old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin should not be, that the body of sin should be destroyed. Now, let's is anybody in here, since you got saved, I'm just asking, I'm just asking, don't go bananas. Has anybody in here, since you've been saved, has anybody in here never sinned? You've not done one sin since you've been saved. Just the preacher. The rest of us going, uh, I've had a little trouble. It says... That henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is dead to sin. Well, how come I sin? In fact, one John says, He that says he's without sin is a liar, and the truth is not any. I didn't write that. It's like in one John. Well, uh, if I am crucified with Christ and I have the benefit of his death, I've had, I'm crucified with Christ, I have the benefit of his burial and his resurrection, how come I do sin? Look up here. I'm just going to give you a quick, just a little lesson real quick. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, God said, don't eat this. Don't eat this fruit. Don't eat this fruit. The day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely did they eat it? <clears throat> Did they fall down dead on the ground? No, they lived a long time after that. But God said, the day. So in Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man in our own image. 
Verse 27, so he made man in his own image. He made man body, soul, and spirit. The day that Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, they died spiritually. Now we are all born dead in trespasses and sin. When a person gets, well, because of Adam, because Adam sinned, for his own, one man, sin entered the world, death by sin. So death passed upon all men for that all of sin. Every, every human born since Adam, Cain and Abel were born body, soul, and dead spirit. Everybody is. That's why Jesus had to be virgin born. If he was born human born, he'd have been contaminated. He'd have been born with dead spirit too. Ephesians says that we are quickened. Quickened means made alive. Another verse in Titus, I guess, says we are regenerated. Watch. When you get regenerated, when you're made alive, this is when the dead spirit is no longer dead. It's made alive. So when you get saved, I know you didn't know this because I just made it up a couple weeks ago. But anyway, when you get saved, the Spirit of God comes and convicts you of your sin. You go, oh, the bad news, I'm a sinner, I'm in trouble. But then the Spirit of God says, well, the good news, Christ died for your sins. Receive Him. Receive the gospel. You can be saved. When a person receives the gospel, the Holy Spirit has convicted them. The Holy Spirit of God comes and makes their dead spirit alive, and it does this. Ding! It makes a ding sound. That's what a part I made up. When a person gets saved around the country, goes ding, and the angels go, there's another dinger. <laughs> another one came home, sound the horn, strike up the choir. Oh, a sinner's come home, saved from the fire. It's awesome. Everybody with me? And whoa, 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 whoa. When I got saved, ding. When I got saved, the only thing that got saved, the only thing that was regenerated, <laughs> was my dead spirit. My flesh did not get saved. My flesh is wicked. It's a sinner. My flesh is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. It's in rebellion to God. Now that I'm saved, I've got this part in me that doth not sin. It cannot sin, for it's born of God. But this does. This is wicked. So now I have this war between the spirit and the flesh. Everybody hearing me? Roman said, How shall he that is dead to sin live any longer therein? My spirit is dead to sin. It cannot sin. My flesh is in battle with my spirit. Watch. My flesh still sins. But listen carefully. It doesn't have to. He that is dead is freed from sin. How shall he live any longer therein? That our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. When I got saved, watch, I got the benefit of Christ's death. I was crucified with him. Dave McCracken was, I was. And so I do not have to give in to sin. Is there going to be a battle? Uh, yeah, there sure is. Do you always win the battle? Uh, sometimes I do, but the Spirit doesn't. But if I will yield to the Spirit and walk in newness of life and the power of Christ, I can tell the old man, no. I know it's not polite, but I don't care. I'm old. Shut up! I can say that to him. Is anybody hearing me? 
I've had kids come up to me and say, Brother Dave, you said a bad word last night. I did not. Yes, you did. Well, I did not. Yes, you did. What did I say? You said shut up. That's a bad word. I said, that's right. You should never say it. Your mama is right. You should never say shut up unless they really deserve it. I don't, I'm not into that political correct stuff. I want to be nice and polite to people, but I'm telling you, that old man, he doesn't have to control me. But many of us act like he does. We act like we don't have a chance. It's not my fault. It's not, I, I really don't have a choice. <laughs> yes, you do. How do I know? You have the benefit of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Now, when we talk about his burial, let me get back to my notes. Whoa, when we talk about his burial... And Jesus Christ was buried. What is that about? Well, uh, oh, I'm, I was wondering, what time is it? I know. Are you, is anybody in a hurry? If you're in a hurry, raise your hand. Hey, if you have to leave, I won't be offended, okay? I just need to do this other thing too, okay? It's where John chapter 19 is. I want to show you a couple things about the reality that Jesus died. We have to get to the place where we're going to accept, acknowledge, and I know we already do, but I just want to paint the picture, I don't know, this where we all can see it freshly, I guess, tonight, where we can see it. John chapter 19 I just want to talk, explain to you that Jesus did die. We can jump in a lot of places. I'm going to jump in at verse 30. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. He bowed his head and gave up the ghost. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was an high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first and the other which was crucified with him. When they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they brake not his legs, but one of the soldiers with the spear pierced his side and forthwith came there out blood and water. Let's just stop right there. We got some more work to do, but let's stop there. Let me get a couple things going on in your brain. <clears throat> It says that Jesus is on the cross, and the cross is a place for death. That's the only reason they invented it, so it could be the most horrific capital punishment that humanity could maybe come up with. And so they thought the Phoenicians invented it, and when, they, when, they, when people saw someone on the cross, they're going, man, I don't want to go through that, that's... You know that it's, it's recorded that some people in, the, in Rome, Rome was after... Phoenicians, they picked up crucifixion. And anyway, there's been recorded that some people have lived, they've lived on the cross for a week. You don't die from the spikes in the hands and the feet. Not necessarily the cat of nine tails, and everybody that was crucified might not have gone through the cat of nine tails. You die from suffocation. Gravity is pulling on you, pulling on you. The ribs are pushing against the lungs, and finally you just can't breathe. And you die. Now Christ was on the cross just six hours. And hanging there on the cross, the Jewish leadership came to the Roman leadership and said, Hey, uh, we have a preparation for Sabbath day. In fact, it's a high day. We can't, he can't be up there overnight because in the book of Leviticus, it says that no one can hang on a tree overnight. It will defile the land. We can't have that. I thought it was fascinating that the very people that lied to have him crucified now go, we can't defile the land. They've already defiled the land. But regardless, they've come and said, we don't want the land can't be defiled. Now, let's talk about that. Every Saturday, every Saturday, there are seven days, every Saturday is the Sabbath. Everybody with me? 
when I was a kid, I thought Sunday was the Sabbath because it was a special day. We worshiped and so on. But anyway, I found out, no, Saturday's the Sabbath. We worship on the first day of the week because the Lord rose. But regardless, I'm telling you, the Sabbath is always, every, every Saturday is the Sabbath, every Saturday. And so they were getting ready for the preparation for the Sabbath and said, for that Sabbath was a high day. What is that about? Well, whenever the Jewish people had a, uh, you could call it a feast, feast of the first fruits, feast of unleavened bread, the Passover feast, whenever they had a feast day, it was called a Sabbath day. It's also called an high day. The Passover is a high day. The Passover, no matter what day it's on, it's April the 14th. April the 14th is not always on Saturday. Some years it's on Monday. So whatever date April 14th is on, that would be a Sabbath day, a high day, plus Saturday is also Sabbath day. Is everybody with me? So when he talks about that, when that comes up, and that's what that's speaking of, they're saying, hey, 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 they can't be up there, and this is a Sabbath, and this is a high day. We can't have him up there. We've got to get him down. Another thing we need to get in our little brains is that the Jewish clock is not the same as ours. For the Jewish people, like uh, uh, today's Tuesday, it will be Wednesday tonight at what time? When will it be Wednesday? What time? Midnight, 12 midnight, it's Wednesday. The Jewish calendar, the clock says, at 6 p.m., it's Wednesday. So on our time schedule, we're already in Wednesday on the Jewish clock. Everybody with me? So the Sabbath would begin at 6 p.m. Wednesday. So they've got to get him off the cross and get him buried before 6 p.m. because there's all these regulations, ceremonial laws that you cannot do certain kind of work and activity on the Sabbath. So they got to get him in the ground before 6 p.m. So Jesus dies 3 p.m. They have three hours to get him. Those soldiers breaking the legs of the malefactors. Why? So they would fall on down and suffocate. When they got to Jesus, saw that he was already, already dead. But some people would say, for good measure or aggravation, just <clears throat> rams a spear up in Jesus' side, and when he pulls it out, blood and water come out. Some of you would be aware that around the heart is... Uh, can you call it a sack or a bag around the heart? And it's filled with fluid. If someone has congestive heart failure, they have too much fluid around their heart, and it's pushing pressure on the heart. It's that fluid kind of clear. It's like water, and it's pushing on it. So when he pulled that spear out, blood and water came out. We know, we know that he got deep enough in there to pierce that Sack around the heart. How do I know? Blood and water came out. Many people believe, or not many, but I've read that some people say that Jesus died of a broken heart. His heart ruptured, exploded in his chest, and they can prove it because when he pulled the spear out, blood and water came out. Well, I don't, I'm not one that would, I'm not going to argue with them and fight about it, if that's good, hallelujah. But I know this, if someone stuck a spear up my side and didn't, pierce the heart, but pierce that water sack around there. Regardless if my heart was broken or not, blood and water would still come out. And if he jammed the heart, the heart muscle with the spear and pulled it out, blood and water would come out. So I, all I know is that the guy stuck a spear in Jesus and blood and water came out. Jesus is dead. A spear is not like a little dart. It's not like, like a needle. It's a spear. <laughs> they jammed it in there and pulled it out. What's your Bible? Verse 35, he that saw it bear record, his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith true, that ye might believe. Verse 36, 
for these things were done, look what the Bible says, that the Scripture should be fulfilled. Now, time out, look up here. Christ died for our sins according to the... That the Scripture should be fulfilled, a bone of him shall not be broken. Again, verse 37, another Scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they pierced. The book of John says that I know his hands and feet are pierced, but the book of John is saying that one of the reasons they stuck that spear up in him is because the Scripture must be fulfilled. They look on him who has been pierced. A bone of him shall not be broken. Could you imagine if they tried to break a bone of Jesus so he could die? You know how impossible that would have been? They couldn't have broke it with a sledgehammer. They couldn't have broke it with a saw because the Scripture is not going to be broken. But it doesn't matter. Jesus is dead already. Now watch this. I thought this was it's so precious to me. Verse 38. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly. Why was he secret about it? For fear of the Jews. He saw Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him leave and he came therefore and took the body of Jesus. Now stop, 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 please, please. I just want to... Put a bug in your ear or just plant this thought. Uh, Joseph is not the last person that was a disciple of Jesus secretly. There are still secret agent Christians around today. Why? For fear. A little nervous. Don't know what to say. I don't think I can answer the questions. I'm telling you, today, most likely in this room, there are still some secret followers, agents of Christ. People where you work don't know that you're a believer. People in your neighborhood, you've never talked to them about it. They know you go somewhere on Sunday, but you don't really want to make an issue of it because, you know, you want to get along. Is anybody hearing me? Joseph of Arimathea was a wealthy man. He actually owned the tomb where Jesus is buried. Keep going, watch. Verse number 38 says he, they took uh, then and took the body of Jesus. But look at 39. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Look at verse 40. Then took they the body of Jesus, wound it in linen cloths and with spices, as a manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher, where never man was yet laid, and there laid they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. Now, if you had a chance to go to Israel, and they took you to what they call Gordon's Calvary, what we would say that where Jesus was crucified, where that crucifixion would have taken place, so if you were at the crucifixion site looking that way, to the left, is a garden tomb area. It's, 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 not, it's not much more than 100 yards. It's just right down there. So that sepulcher was nigh at hand. Now, we know from the other Gospels that Joseph of Arimathea owned it, but no one had yet been buried in it. But he paid to have it chiseled out of a solid stone. They don't build it for one person. They build it for the whole family where it costs so much money that everybody can be buried in there. They just move the skeletals aside uh, as a Jew's manner was to bury. They were wrapped much like a mummy. We would consider that. Move that aside and lay a new body down. I thought it was fascinating that Nicodemus was also a secret Christian. You know, Nicodemus is that famous guy from John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. 
He's the same that came to Jesus by night and said to him, Master, we know that thou art come from God. No one can do the miracles thou doest except God be with him. And Jesus said, Ye must be born again. When you get finished with John chapter 3, none of us, none of us in this room know Nicodemus is saved. We do not know. When I get done with John 3, I thought, well, Jesus told him, but he didn't say yes. We don't know until you get to John chapter 19 that Nicodemus said yes. He's a follower of Christ too, but he's been secret about it. He didn't want to stir up anything. Nicodemus brought a hundred pounds of myrrh and aloe, spices. Does anybody in this room, does anybody in this room know how much a gallon of milk or a gallon of water weighs? Real close to eight pounds, just under. So if you have a hundred pounds divided by eight, well, I don't know what it means, but anyway, there you go. Do you know that's almost 13 gallons? Did anybody hear me? Almost 13 gallons of oil, myrrh and aloe. Can you imagine 13 gallons, how much that is? To rub on a body? They would take those linen cloths and put it in the oil and soak it in there. I don't know, uh, some, some historian said... I don't, it's not in the Bible, but a historian said that the amount of oil and aloes, myrrh and aloes, that they would bury kings with is about 100 pounds. If anybody deserved a kingly burial, it's my Savior. Amen. The Bible says, then took they the body, Nicodemus and Joseph. It doesn't say anybody else. It does not. I know they both were wealthy and they had means. I know they could have brought some of the folks that worked with them to help them. They could have, and they may have. The Bible doesn't say that. This then took they the body. You know what my brain came, my picture that I saw when I read, then they took the body? Is that after Pilate gave him leave, that Nicodemus and Joseph are walking to the cross for the crucifixion, the Savior's hanging there. They've got to get that cross out of the hole. Christ is a grown man. He weigh 130 pounds. That would be pretty small. He may have. 160, 150, 100. I don't know how much he weighs. Is everybody with me? I know he's a grown man. And he's hanging on this cross. They've got to get that cross out of the hole. And I'm just in my mind. I know the Bible doesn't say, but in my mind, I don't think one Roman soldier said, hey, boys, you need some help? We'd like to help you. I don't think they were interested in helping at all. They don't care. I don't know how they did it. I had one man come to me and said, Brother Dave, I know how they did it. He said, how do you think Samson had all that strength? Who gave it to him? He said, I wouldn't be surprised that God gave them the strength. I don't know. But I know this. They got the cross out of the hole, and the Savior's laying on the ground on a cross. He's got nails, spikes in his hands and feet. If they could go down to Lowe's or Home Depot today and buy tools to remove the nails... Today, today, if they could have done that, what tools would you buy to remove spikes out of someone's body? In my brain, I'm just, uh, maybe they did. I I can't picture it, but they just took the body and went, yanked that off there. I can't picture they would do that. The body, he's precious to them. They may have, I don't know. But I know somehow or another they got him a loose. And then they carried the body of the Savior, and they take it down to the garden tomb. There at the garden tomb, there is a picture of where a well that is filled in now used to be. The picture has three humans, three humans, grown people, standing on a ladder above each other, 
That's how deep the well was. Say, so why do you? Well, they, they had to clean the Savior. They've got to bathe him before they wrap him. In my head, I'm just imagining, the Bible doesn't say this, but that Joseph is kneeling at the head of Jesus and he's got water and cloth to try to bathe the blood and get the blood out of Jesus' hair, get the blood off Jesus' face. The Bible said his visage is marred more than any man. His face is just a pulp and they're trying to clean it. His head has had the thorns just jammed down in his head. They've removed that, and blood is everywhere. And Nicodemus, uh, Joseph is trying to clean the head, trying to get all that blood off of there. In my heart, and I know the Bible doesn't say it, but I could picture Joseph leaning over and kissing the face of Jesus somewhere and saying out loud, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I didn't stand up for you. I'm sorry I wasn't bold for you. I'm sorry I was a coward, Jesus. I'm so sorry. And Joseph's face and just filled with tears. Picture Nicodemus trying to clean the hands of the Savior. We have these wrinkles in our knuckles and all around the fingernails. He's trying to get all the blood out. Trying to clean it. And he picks up the master's hand. And he kisses it. And he says, I'm sorry, Jesus. And they wrap his body with a hundred pounds. They wrap it just like you think of wrapping a mummy. They're wrapping him. A hundred pounds. I'm telling you, just to rub to rub a quart of oil on someone would be like a lot. They got 13 gallons. They wrap everything but his head. The Bible says they didn't wrap his head. They laid a napkin over his face. They've taken him and they've laid him on that stone bed, the tomb. Historians would guess, they say, that that rock that covered that tomb that they rolled in front of their that it weighed about 4,000 pounds. Why would they put a rock in front of there? Well, keep the animals out. They want it secure. And our Savior is in the tomb. When he was buried, you know what that proved? He's dead. The spear-thrusting soldier, you could almost see him nod, give a nod to the centurion and say to him, he's dead. The centurion then goes to Pilate and says, he's dead. And Pilate, uh, in his heart and his spirit, he is thankful that maybe another crisis has been averted. And he says in a whisper, he's dead. Those Pharisees that did the behind-the-scene work that they've been waiting for this moment, they congratulate each other and pat each other on the back, and they say, he's dead. And those disciples, heartbroken and full of sorrow, their heart is broken and they cry, he's dead. And the tears and the heartbreak that only a mother could know, Mary cries. He's dead. Friend, tonight I'm telling you that the burial proves he's dead. Something happened at that burial that I've already inferred to you tonight. You don't, I know you don't know it yet, but... I've already inferred it to you. You know that when Jesus was buried, he wasn't the only one placed in that tomb. Did you know that? Because the Bible says 
that I was buried with him. I was buried with him. How come you were buried with him? Because when I trusted Christ as my Savior, I got the benefit of his death and his burial. The scripture makes it plain. We were buried with him. We were planted with him. I was buried with Christ. Praise his name. I get the benefit of his death and his burial. Mercy. I think it's fascinating that I was buried with Jesus. You know that... uh, Uh, old preacher named Jerry Vines. He said it like this. Don't you know that when Jesus was buried in that tomb, when he rose from the dead, he left his grave clothes and our sins behind. (laughs) Now listen to it, Jeremiah 31. For I will forgive their iniquities. I will remember their sins no more. The same thing is said in Hebrews chapter 8. In Micah chapter 7. That will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Psalm 103. As far as the east is from the west. So far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Friend you can walk north. You can walk north. You can keep walking north. But one day you'll start walking south. You can walk east the rest of your life. And you'll never walk west. That's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. In Psalm, in Isaiah 38, it says, Thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. I thought this was cool. Cast all my sins behind his back. Now, wait a minute. Is God uh, omnipotent? Is he omniscient? Is he omnipresent? Is he with me? If God is here, well, he's here at the same time. If he said he put our sins behind his back, you know what he kind of did? He put our sins in a place that doesn't even exist. I'll say it like this. Our sins are gone. Gone, gone, gone. Yes, my sins are gone. Buried in the deepest sea. Yes, that's good enough for me. Praise God. (laughs) My sins are gone. Someone could say amen. It's okay. It's all right. It doesn't say, and I'll forget your sins. That's not what the Bible says. I will remember thy sins no more. Did you hear it? If you forget something, something could jog your memory. You go, oh, yeah, I remember. But if God says, I will remember them no more, they're gone. They don't exist. They're completely gone. So the tomb reminds us that Jesus buried our sins. They've been put out of sight God has forgiven them. They're paid for right now. Not someday. Not maybe. They're gone. I've been forgiven. I've been forgiven. I've been forgiven. He says, I will remember them no more. J. Wilbur Chapman wrote it like this. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Somebody say amen. Our sins are buried with him. It's unchangeable. It's unbreakable. It's unshakable. It's inflexible. It is to say it's an undoable fate of our sin. It cannot, they cannot escape. They, if you've been redeemed by the Savior, he took your sins and they're gone. Listen to the scripture. Our justification before God is an accomplished fact. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. So from the perspective of God's judgment throne, the sins of the believers are forgiven. God as judge has thoroughly judged, punished Christ for our sins. 
He refuses to hold those sins against us in judgment. They're gone. When Satan tries to remind you that you're wicked. When Satan tries to remind you you're no account. You're worthless. When your flesh stumbles again and crashes headlong and you feel horrible and you know my flesh is wicked. Satan has his foot on your neck and he says, See there, McCracken, I told you you're a waste. You're the lousiest preacher. You're the worst Christian I know. You know you're worthless. I say to you tonight, ladies and gentlemen, you throw his foot off your neck and you stand up and you point back to that grave and say, Hey, Bubba, they're gone. They are gone. My sins are gone. Praise God. I shall live eternally. My sins are gone. Don't let the liar defeat me and you. I told you a while ago, our flesh is in a battle with our spirit and our flesh is going to sin, it's going to mess up, but we don't have to. We don't have to give in. And when we realize that and say, God, forgive me. Thank you that you paid for my sins. I don't want to give in to the wicked one. I don't want to give in to the flesh, carnality, the devil. I don't want to give in to it anymore, God. I want to yield and surrender to you. I rededicate my life to you. That's what we're doing this week. That's why I'm here. That you and I might rededicate our hearts and our souls to say, God, I'm not going to give in to the devil. I'm not going to give in to my flesh. I have, I have the benefit of your death, burial, and resurrection. Praise your name. I want to follow you. One of the person asked this question. Well, uh, all right. What should we do with this kind of freedom? Our sins are gone. What should we do? That's a great song. Charles Wesley said it like this. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Ladies and gentlemen, mine and your hearts should be so full that we've been forgiven. We have the benefit of his death, his burial. Our sins are gone. His resurrection. I can walk in newness of life. That I would say, Jesus, I've made the commitment. I'm going to follow you. Thank you, Christ. I'm going to follow you. No, 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 no. We've got to be honest. Are we ever going to mess up? This thing stinks. It will mess you up. But I'm telling you, you and I have victory. We have victory over this flesh. We don't have to just keep giving in and giving in and giving in. You and I can make the commitment to Jesus Christ with thanksgiving. God, thank you. I don't have the ability to live for you, but I know you do. I don't have the ability to walk in newness of life, but because I'm risen with you. Thank you, Christ. I'm going to rededicate my heart to follow you. If you're not saved tonight, Christ died for your sins. But you don't have the benefit of them yet. You don't have the benefit until you receive the gospel. Just receiving somebody's story, trying to do it in your best way or what you hope is okay. No, ladies and gentlemen, God's laid it out very, very plainly. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. If you'll receive that authoritative truth, mercy, you'll be forgiven You'll be placed into Christ and you have all the benefits of Jesus. And I ask you to stand with me. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Mercy. I'd like to pray with you. Dear God, our great Savior, thank you. Thank you.